Ajax of Tears, thanks again for stopping by. If you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I'm joined by an anonymous guest who is going by the pseudonym John Birch. John started waking up from his um, JW indoctrination in 1988, funnily enough, on the very day that he got baptised, which is a first. I've never heard of anything like that before. Um, this should be really interesting. John, how are you today? Hi, I'm, I'm fine, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So, please, tell us about you starting to wake up on the day of your baptism. Yeah. That is definitely an unusual um, and uncommon um, set of circumstances. Right. So, um, how that came about, okay. Um, I was in the uh, the room, you know, we get trains, get ready to go out and get baptised. And um, I saw that with the other candidates there, was a boy, can't be more than, say, 11 or 12. And I thought to myself, that, that that's crazy, you know. I thought, like, you can't have a license to drive a car when you're 12, you can't get married when you're 12. Thinking of all sorts of things that are important that you can't do when you're 12, you're not ready for. And yet this getting baptised, dedicating yourself to this organization or preaching work is it's it's a lifelong thing and i'm thinking you're not ready mentally for that at that age and the others day were just like patting him on the back and i stayed out of it and it just thought to myself in my head it's wrong so then it sort of ruined my own baptism in a way because i couldn't get the thought out of my head about what was happening with him so that was the beginning of <laughs> waking up <laughs> so i was a long way off from leaving at that point of course but that's the first little thing that bugged me day of my baptism that was uh, about wow. 1988. wow that's really interesting um yeah the jehovah's witnesses they say that they don't baptize infants but um, with children as young as, you know, 12, 11, and even younger, I mean, the youngest I've heard is like nine. I still don't know anything at that age. I mean, really, what is the difference between baptising a nine-year-old and baptising an infant? Very, very little difference. Mm -hmm. and, and this obviously had a profound um, effect on you. Um, it's just... Uh... Well, negatively, obviously, because it was in my head, you know, and uh, I never really forgot about it. It's just one of those things that just push aside mentally. So you push it out of your head and try not to think about it and let it go because, well, you know, everything else or so I believed at that time I'd been taught by the witnesses was true. So I thought, well, they must be right. They must, it must be okay then, you know. Mental gymnastics is what we do when they see something wrong. And the, so we're dealing with it when you're fully in. So after you got baptised and you saw that, um, that youngster getting baptised as well, how long did that bug you for before you started having more doubts or more questions? Uh, how long after? Well, let's see. Um, a few years, you know. I mean, I was baptized in '88, and I left in 1993. 
I would say it was a gradual thing over those few years, not sort of way like after the whole boy getting baptized thing. It took two, three years before other things really started to get to me, you know. Uh, other doubts that I had because um, I wasn't, I couldn't, I have, I'm, my family are not witnesses, you see, they never were. And my brother and sisters all had kids, so I knew, I was fond of my, my nephews and nieces, and I knew that when our wedding came, they were all going to die, simply because their parents weren't witnesses, you know. So, and that's, that's something that I thought about more and more as I got closer to when I eventually left, how we're supposed to accept that and all of this paradise to come about what 98, 99% of the world is going to be destroyed, you know, and that quite a high percentage of people among that lot will never even have heard the message that we have and I had a chance to decide on it, you know. So, ultimately, uh, there was one incident that took place when I'd just been out on field service and we went back to a brother's house and how many of us were there, about six or seven, and it was an elder there that was uh, leading that field service. We got back out of service. We were there at the house, and one of the other witnesses said, "Witnesses," she said that she got a householder who had a go at her or the witnesses in general over the saying that when Armageddon comes, everybody who isn't a witness is going to die. And said, well, what about the kids, just little kids and everything, you know, and she tried to explain to the household our reason about why it's coming and why it's just blah, blah. I don't remember exactly what she said. But then the elder, he said in a sort of an unkind way, he said, oh, the poor kiddies, you know, like that. And, and that, I was like I'd been stabbed. When you said that, it's like they just couldn't care jot, you know. And that was like, if I remember correctly, very shortly before my last meeting. And that was almost like the last straw for me, that they could say something like that. And I was thinking of my nieces and nephews, among others, you know. And he said something like that. I, could, I didn't say anything there and then. But I was thinking, was like, excuse me, you're talking about my nieces and my nephews and my love. Like, you don't give a jot that they'll get destroyed. And phew, that was really, that really did my head in that did. You know, I was furious, but I let it go. I didn't say anything there and then. But the very next meeting was it? I don't know, in the next meeting. Very soon after that was the last one I had. And before I went in, I'd already decided this is going to be the last one. I didn't tell anyone. And then it was over. That was it. I walked out and I already knew I'm never going back in there again. God may strike me dead, but the fireball from the sky, so be it. I would rather be dead than be alive in paradise 
with all these millions of people and children murdered and I'm there and they're not. No, thank you, I thought, so not for me. Thank, thank you. I mean, I can tell that it, this is something that really bothers bothered you emotionally and, and still does by, you know, by the passionate way that you're speaking about it. You know, I, I completely understand. I mean, um, as for that comment that that elder made, there's a definite kind of callousness that comes with being witness towards people in, you know, the world, as, as, as they say, mm. you know, and I, I think that you, you, you can't really be a, a, a good Jehovah's Witness without that callousness, but it's one that they don't recognize within themselves. I mean, witnesses think that they're very kind and caring people, while at the same time, they really look forward to Armageddon, knowing that it's going to mean the, the, the slaughter of billions of people, including children and babies. Yeah. You know, mm. and it, it's really, really terrible. Uh, so I, I yeah. don't really get why it affected you so negatively. I think everybody that was there, all people in that meeting, were all um, born and raised in it, you know, a bit like you were saying. I think they don't, they couldn't, it dawned on me over time that uh, they don't comprehend what it's like to be in the world, to be born and raised on, you have a different viewpoint of it, of things, things like this, you know, and like when you're Pimmy, as the expression is, or born and raised in it as well, it's much harder, it's sort of your, I don't know, your mental thinking, mental thinking facilities, your morality, I'd say, is, is blunted by your lifetime of indoctrination and they just so they just accept whatever is taught you know however bad it might seem to someone who isn't who's outside of it you know. I never felt like I truly belonged when I was in it because everybody else seemed to think it a different way to me you know so if, if we could go back a bit I mean you mentioned that you weren't born and raised as a Jehovah's Witness so how did you um first come into contact with the organization my mother uh answered the door uh when i was 13 and she took the the big red live forever book you know live for you can live forever in paradise on earth book and she did that for me because although she said to me well, and she told the witness that she wasn't interested herself but she knew that i was quite a reader which i was and I'd read almost anything really, it was true. Um, so she took it. And um, of course, I read that, devoured it, and fell for the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker. But before that, now I thought about it. Um, she'd actually done that before, a few years before, when I was younger, like seven or eight, when, because I can remember, she took. Uh, I don't remember, you probably won't remember this, but the little pink book called Listening to the Great Teacher. Uh, you do. And uh, I had that when I was about seven or eight from my mum. She took it from them, same sort of thing. It just, you know, that didn't have much of an effect on me then. You know, I was so young. But I do remember having that. I enjoyed it. I liked the way that the pages smelt. 
<laughs> anyway, coming back to when I had the Love Forever book <laughs> at 13, that's what convinced me uh, that I, they had the truth. And, um, but I was, <laughs> at that age, I thought, there's no way that I'm going to go out, knock on people's doors with the Bible in my hand. Certainly not in my hometown. Or my friends will laugh at me. Um, and I, so it took a few years for me to ask for, start having a Bible study, you know. And even then, that was off and on. I didn't do anything about it. I was reluctant to do anything, to start living the life before I left school <laughs> because I didn't want to, because there were two witness children in my school and I saw how they were so outside of everyone else, you know, and didn't take part in the assemblies. Although I didn't see them being treated really badly, everybody knew about them, that they were Jehovah's Witness children. And I didn't want to have, you know, I didn't want to have any bullying or being made fun or whatever by my friends because I was already a sensitive person and a bit shy and I found it hard to make friends as it was because of my hearing impairment. That's what we're hearing it. Um... So that made that's why it took so long for me to really start to put on the new personality, as they call it, and start going to meetings. That would have been about when I was 16, 17. And eventually decided to get past it at 20. Because I was safe. <laughs> Nobody I wasn't at school anymore. Wow, that's really interesting. Um the, the life of a Jehovah's Witness teenager is not an easy one at all, especially during the, the school years. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, it's interesting that you saw that from afar and decided that you wanted to minimise that as much as possible. <laughs> I was worried about Armageddon coming before I, you know, while I was still at school, but uh, I sort of pushed it out of my head. It was too much. <laughs> so you got baptised at the age of 20. And uh, that's when you started, you know, having the doubts. Yeah, well, I, I was uh, a baptized publisher for a short while before before I got that house, obviously, which you have to be. So after your last meeting, um, were there any efforts by the congregation elders to um, like get you back to attending meetings again? Or did they try to give you a shepherding call? Or how did that turn out? Um, I had... Barely anybody came to see me once I stopped going. Um, I saw an elder, another came to see me, as well shepherding call it was, um, after a few months. But I've had only a few times I've had an elder call on me since I left. Now, and I think I know why that is, it's because I was never like, a minister servant. I, I didn't reach out. Um, I did once have a go to Zulu pioneering for one month, and it was a complete disaster. Only I did even less hours than I did as a regular publisher in that month because I got so overwhelmed. 
Um, and the, so I suppose I wasn't seen as someone who was especially important in the congregation because they were just me. I didn't have anybody in my family that was in, you know, that sort of got some older than my mum and my sister, but not to the point where they were regulars, you know. So I guess, and I, even in the field ministry, I I was always hoping that nobody would answer the door. <laughs> and uh, I, the only thing I enjoyed about it was the socialization, you know, chatting with the others afterward in the car and, you know, I'm going to meetings and the social side of things, because I didn't have much of a social life uh, aside from Jehovah's Witnesses. That's uh, the one thing it did for me in a positive way, I suppose, was getting me out and missing and socialising people because because I'm a hearing impairment, I was like staying away from people, you know, I'm not really... That's, that's how I would have been if I hadn't joined them. So it's the one thing that it did give me. Uh, so... I suppose the most advanced, as you might call it, and I got within it was giving two of those five-minute Bible readings they have at the old theocratic minister school at the midweek meeting. Two of those I did, and both those occasions were terrifying. I think I stood there and I looked straight ahead, didn't look at anybody, you know, and... Uh, I got through that summer, and my legs were shaking. <laughs> anyway, that's as weird as I got. So I was never really throwing myself into it, heart and soul and all and all. I was always very, like, keeping myself to myself sort of person. So that I'd have some friends within it, so-called friends. Um, you know, I guess that's why there wasn't too much in the way of an effort to to get hold of me when I'd stopped going and asking why they stopped going, are you coming back and what have you, you just left me alone, which is fair enough. Even to now, um, I'm not even sure, have I been, I never wrote a disassociation letter. I don't know whether I've been disfellowshipped or not. I'm just faded. And I'd never been told, for I know I have been, I don't even know. So I just say I'm faded. And I, I don't think of myself as a Jehovah's Witness now at all. But, um, yeah, I mean, it took me eight years after I left to stop worrying about dying. <laughs> you know, but that's another story as that came about. But that's the explanation as to why no real effort was made to get me to come back once I went, you know. When you first, when you first got baptised, what did your family think about you becoming a Jehovah's Witness? Uh, my family would not know. It was I witnessed to one of my two sisters. Uh, she got to the point where she was having Bible study, but not with me, with another witness couple who lived nearer to where she lived, you know. And um, my mother, I, I sort of converted myself. She came to believe in it, but she was rather more heavily hearing impaired than me, and she always found it difficult to do the going out and about and everything. So uh, she only ever went to one memorial. And the biggest thing with my mum 
she couldn't get her head around that no one would partake, you know. <laughs> I remember having a conversation with her on the night that she went to the memorial with me and saying, remember, do not take the boat or one. You've got to pass it along, right? And I, I was all freaking out. She'd go and do that. And, you know, <laughs> um, because from what she knew, She'd never heard of such a thing before. She only knew back in the churches, they take the bread and wine, you know. Uh, her mother was never the sharpest knife in the drawer, God bless her. But so she couldn't get her head around some of the explanations of some of the more quirky teachings that we had, you know, um, about Christmas as well. She had a hard time with that because she loved uh, spending on things for the grandchildren, her grandchildren, when it was Christmas and that. So, uh, I mean, I had to deprogram my mum after I realised myself it was no longer true to help it to see that what I told her before wasn't true, you know, that it was a cult and it's... I'm absolutely certain I ever managed to uh, convince her that it was wrong. Um... Well, she's dead now, but anyway, that's all in the past. You know, my sister, she ultimately, at the time that she was studying with this other couple, she had young children, and what stopped her becoming fully indoors, she's told me since, was that the bud thing. So if my children got hurt, and I had to let them die rather than have it better on There is no way that I'm going to do that. And she loved Christmas as well because my family was always, Christmas is big every year in my family, you see, before I became a witness. And my sister, so it was a blood thing and not celebrating Christmas. She couldn't do that to her kids, as she said, you know. So, but she was, I actually chatted with her about that today even though it's years and years later and it appears that she's still physically out but mentally in and I couldn't believe that I thought I'd talked to her out of it years ago you know although she hasn't been involved for a long time so she still actually talks to those two witnesses that used to have a bible study with I thought they must have been long dead by now but they're still alive apparently um, so I was shocked. So I've, um, I've now got a job to deprogram my sister. <laughs> but there's no worry about her going back in. She's never going to do that. She never was in properly to begin with. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> After your last meeting, you spent some time still worrying about Armageddon and thinking that, you know, you were going to be destroyed. Well, mm. what, what was that like and, and how did you move past that? Well, um, I just tried to push it out of my head as much as I could. You know, I mean, when I decided not to go anymore, I knew that I was choosing to die rather than be in this. I sort of made a mental decision and come to terms with it myself. But that's not to say it didn't bother me, because it did for years. 
tried not to think about it for those eight years, you know, while I was out. And then, um, of course, uh, in about 2001, uh, I got the internet for the first time at my place. And the first thing I put into Google when I got it online was X or former Jehovah's Witnesses. Return. <laughs> and uh, I, I, because I knew I wasn't going back, I thought I might as well find out what all the ex-witnesses or processes are calling them to say. And through that, I remember the earliest thing I found was the Randall Waters Free Minds website. I think that's gone now or taken over by someone else. And he was uh, at Bethel in America when Franz was there, Raymond Franz. And long story short, uh, he talks about this is the first time I'd heard of a Catholic body member who left, you know, Raymond Franz, and said that he had a book. So I thought, right, I've got to get this book. So I did. And then it was com a combination of reading the stuff on his website, of his experiences and when he left. And then Raymond Franz's book, uh, The Chains Fell Away. And I realised, oh my God, I've been in the cult all this time and the whole thing is you know, BS, and there's not going to be a fireball come out of the sky and kill me one day. So <laughs> that's the story. That must have been a huge relief. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, there was. Then when I started to think more about it, I then realised I'm not going to see my dad again. Because when I was in, one of the big attractions was, see, my dad died when I was 11. And... I had others who were dead by that point. So that's one of the first things that come to me after dawn that it wasn't the truth. Then, oh, he's not coming back. I'm never going to see him again. So there was a little bit of a, a downside to it in that sense. But I've come to terms with it, like we all do, when, you know, a lot of us who've come out may well have people that they knew and loved who died and who had the hope that they'd come back in the resurrection. We've had to give that up, but we all have to to come to terms with that in our own way and accept that's the reality of life. This is all there is and, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, waking up and leaving the organization, it, it goes very much in stages, you know. Um, there, there's a stage where you're relieved because Armageddon isn't coming and you're not going to be destroyed. And for a lot of people, myself included, there is a stage of grief where you're grieving the comfort that those beliefs had given you mm. and that is now no longer there so it, it is a big adjustment um so I, I i get where you're coming from on that one mm. so so what are things like for you now what is your life like now is are you happier as um no longer a jehovah's witness i'm happy i'm out here i'm happy that uh that it isn't true you know uh I'm not happy that one day I have to snuff it, but <laughs> um, no, life is, is better outside of it than in. Because when you're in, you uh, even when you're pimmy, you're still not really happy. I mean, everybody knows how uh, there's so much depression among Jehovah's Witnesses and 
broken marriages and everything. You know, they go on about it being the happiest life ever. But it wasn't. I mean, when I was in, I knew of two brothers who had started falling away. They weren't going to meetings as much. And they would talk about those people. I would say, what's all that about? And they would say that they were depressed. And I would ask them, well, what did I have to be depressed about? And I never really got an answer, you know. Uh, so it's it's not a happy life, you know, unless you're completely deluded. I mean, obviously there's some people in it who are happy, but those people are just fooling themselves. Um, you're much better out of it, you know. Obviously, though, if you're if you've got family that are witnesses, it, I guess it's different than it is for me. I didn't have the issue when I left. Of I didn't have to worry about relatives shunning me i mean i didn't see the other witnesses much when i was because i lived in another separate place to where they all were there was i was the only witness in the town that i lived in at that time um so i don't have to worry about that being shunned or what have you you know i mean i've seen a few the only few times i have seen other witnesses that i knew that were friends of mine they didn't ignore me. We had brief chats, you know. So this is going back a few years now. So obviously I hadn't been announced as disfellowshipped then. Whether it still is the case, I don't know. So what I'm saying is, what I'm trying to say, is uh, it's a lot easier to leave when you're like I was. You weren't born in and you're the only one in your family that is a proper Jehovah's Witness. It's a lot easier. So, I, you know, because most people who leave, like I've watched uh, your interviews with other former witnesses, nearly time and time again, they were born ins, you know, and they've got all these stories of they having to do with shunning when leaving, or if they were like still in but not leaving because they're worried about leaving family. I'm very grateful that I don't have to worry about that side of it. And my heart goes out to those who are, what do they call it? Pemo physically and mentally out who are afraid of of leaving the coast or worry about the shunning. The heart goes out to them and I hope that they're able to uh, find some comfort through channels like yours and other sources on the internet to help them. You know, this is a big community there now, far bigger than it was when I came out. Um it's massive now, isn't it? This is people leaving all the time, you hear all these stories of how, was it, two-thirds of those born in, they leave at the time they're like 18 or whatever, which is great. But in my time that I left, there was no, I didn't have the internet then. The internet was in its infancy, wasn't it? So there's a lot more support now than there was. And I love hearing about all these people leaving, you know, joining things like the, the XJW Reddit, um, you know. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you for your words of encouragement as well to people who are right. still trapped inside the organization. I, I'm sure that a lot of people will draw comfort from what you said. Thank you. And thank you viewers for watching. If you enjoyed the video, please click the like button. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the channel with notifications so that you're alerted whenever I upload a new video.
please proceed to the Jexit in an orderly fashion and I'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for watching to the very end of the video. If you haven't already done so, please like, leave a comment and subscribe to the channel. If you like my work and want to help me continue doing it, please support me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Jexit underscore 2020. And with that, I'd like to sincerely thank these very special patrons who make these videos possible.